are here with us today. Now it's time to get started, so please stand and get ready to worship with us. And thank you for joining us here at Newvine. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Merry Christmas and welcome to Newvine Community Church. We are very happy to have each and every one of you here with us today, and welcome to those who are watching online today as well. I'd like to invite everybody to stand. We'll have a word of prayer and then get started with worship. Lord, I want to thank you for bringing us all together here today safely. I want to thank you for everything you've done in our lives throughout the week and everything we know you will continue to do. We just ask that you come be in our midst today as we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.
Together, love. 
Take a second, turn around, say hello to somebody. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. Don't forget our annual Christmas Eve offering for Ethiopia. This year, you can also visit the Ethiopia table and buy some authentic Ethiopian products for a donation that will also go towards the offering. Help us support our ministries and friends in Ethiopia Special Christmas Eve services will be at 5.30 and 10.30 p.m. That service will only last around 30 minutes, and you can wear your pajamas. See you on Christmas Eve as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Thanks for watching the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here, and enjoy the service. Yeah, I am now. Good morning again. It's funny to see, uh, you got to have different seats that you sit in. And so, so we've mixed the first service and second service and some of you guys are just all messed up. Right? I, I know where you're sitting. I go, you guys are in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. You know, whatever. So. Well, welcome. This is our first, uh, Chris, this is going to be a regular service as you already saw, but tonight at, 5.30, we have our first Christmas Eve service. We'll sing some songs and uh, tell the Christmas story. Linus will be here to read the scripture for us. And then uh, and then at 10.30 again. And so you're welcome to come. People always come. There's some people that that's when they come to church. They'll say, we'll see you at Christmas Eve. Say, well, God bless you, right? Um, every year, we, we do a special offering for Ethiopia on Christmas Eve. Not this one, but but tonight. And so we... We've got about 31 churches there, two schools, and an orphanage. And so uh, so I've been bringing stuff back from Ethiopia, and here is a scarf. Okay, they're all handmade, so if you want to get one of these, you're welcome to do that, and all the money goes to Ethiopia, okay? And so pray for pray for them, too, because they've kind of been in civil war, and I want to go, I'm going to go back, and so I'm going to try to go in between the bullets. It'll be great. So anyway, Liz don't want me to go. Um think that's it. Let's say a prayer and we'll take up the offering. So Lord, just thank you for this time of year that reminds us that you gave it all. You gave your son for us. And so God help us to learn to live this stuff out every day that we give our lives away to serve people in our community. So I ask you to bless this offering in Jesus name. Amen.
All right, good morning. How we doing? You guys done shopping? Anybody else have anything they got to get today? Where'd my wife go? Where's she at? She might be. She might have left. So we've been in a series, an Advent series, and um, part of the tradition of Advent for years has been to light candles, the idea that in many ways the world is captured by darkness, right? And, and the Christian hope has been this light, this Jesus, who, who brings light into this darkness. And so the first week, my hands are shaky, so just I apologize. This might take a moment. The first week we talked about hope and how this Jesus brings us hope. And, and then we talked about peace. And that because of this hope, we can have peace, even in a chaotic world. And then last week we talked about joy and that how because of hope that leads to peace, we can have joy even when it doesn't feel like we should, right? And today we're going to talk about love and how... Love is the light that conquers the darkness of our lives. Yeah? And so let's take a few moments. I always like to start off with just a moment of just being still and being quiet and opening our hearts to God. Because if you're like me, you come in distracted, especially this kind of a week. Right? You just come in distracted. And so let's just take a few moments simply just to to center our hearts and our minds on God and just to kind of rest in his presence and then we'll we'll get going. So relax yourself. If you fall asleep, it's all good. You probably need it anyway. And let's just take a moment to rest in God's presence. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can come and worship, that we can sit here together and open our hearts to you. And so we ask that you just be with us this morning as we explore the story, explore your word, and think about how it connects to the, the life that we live here today. We ask that you just be with us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you just come and, and open our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody said, By the way, there's just something holy about setting together in God's presence. Today we're going to talk about love and how love is the light that conquers the darkness and how particularly how love works in the lives of the people that surrounded Jesus' birth. And so at first we're going to talk about Joseph's, Joseph's love for Mary. When I was a little kid, there was a TV show called Married with Children. Do you guys remember this show? Al Bundy. He was a shoe salesman, and he was married to Sweet Peg, who was a piece of work, let's just be honest. Not that Al was any better. And if you remember the theme of the, so- the, the, theme of the show or the song of the show, it was uh, Frank Sinatra's Love and Marriage, right? You guys want to sing it? Yes, someone said yes. 
We're not going to sing it, but the words go, love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and... Yes. In the world that we live in, marriage and love are tied together. You fall in love. Someone captures your heart. I remember when Amber captured my heart, and I remember when we got engaged, and we I asked her to marry me on vacation at Topsail Island, where we go every year, and I had... Um, the ring in my pocket of my my shorts, and I was a nervous wreck that I was going to drop it and lose it in the sand. And we went for a little bit of a walk, and I asked her, and she said, yes, right? And it's been an adventure ever since. In our world, love and marriage go together, but that's not how it was in the ancient world. In the ancient world, Joseph probably was around 30 years old and Mary was very young. And their marriage would have been arranged. And so Joseph's father probably made an arrangement with Mary's father. And they were engaged to be married. And uh, Joseph would have gone off to his father's home to begin to build a place where when it was finished, he would go back and, and get married so that they would, they would get married. But there were these rumors, I imagine. So Joseph, imagine if you can, Joseph's getting this place prepared for Mary, prepared for his, his new family. And all of a sudden, there's probably these rumors within the village that Mary's pregnant, which would be awkward, to say the least. Right? In Matthew 1, it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And so I imagine that Joseph is hearing these rumors. And Joseph has choices here. And remember that love at this point it doesn't necessarily have to be involved for the two of them to be married. And so Joseph has choices on how is he going to respond to these rumors of this reality that his wife is pregnant, but he has nothing to do with it. And we know, like, well, how does that work? And she's, it was the Holy Spirit. I'm sure he's like, yeah, right, okay. And so he has choices. And in Leviticus chapter 20... The, the, tra- the, the tradition of their people was that if you found your spouse in adultery, and illegal, and legally they're already bind, they're bounded together because of the betrothment. If you found your spouse in adultery, then you would bring both parties to the, to the council of the village, and they would execute them. Probably stone them to death. And I would imagine the, the, the spouse that had been cheated on would probably be the first one to throw the stone. And so Joseph has these choices here. Does he pretend like nothing happened and marry her and deal with the, the ridicule and the shame that comes with that? With essentially people having to guess what had happened, did they... Did they get together before they got married, which would have been, in their eyes, something that you don't do? Did she get together with somebody else, and he has to live the rest of his life with this awkward shame and reality that, hey, my wife cheated on me before we even got together? Does he give her over to the council so that she can be executed? What is Joseph to do? He doesn't want to necessarily marry her because in his eyes that would be in some sense betraying the tradition and perhaps what God had called the people to do. But at the same time, it seems as if he doesn't want to hand her over either so that she'll be killed. Why? I think it's because he loves her. Yeah? So notice what it says that he does. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
Now, what does that mean? I, I think that it means that he, he, he didn't want to go through with it because she had betrayed him, at least in his mind. And yet he loved her. And he didn't want to see her have to go through the ridicule, the shame, the death, the execution of the actions that obviously she had taken part in. So he chooses to divorce her quietly, which I think means like he was probably going to help her get away. Right? Like maybe in the middle of the night, hey, Mary, let's go. You get out of here. You go off somewhere else where nobody can find you, so at least you can live. And it's because of this mercy that he shows, this love that he shows her. Notice what happens next. It says, after he had considered this, after he considered mercy, It says that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And so Joseph has choices here. Divorce her. Allow her to be executed. Pretend it didn't happen, and yet somehow that would perhaps taint his relationship with God. But he chooses mercy. And because he chooses mercy, God reveals the next step in the plan. Sometimes God doesn't reveal to us the next step in the plan until we're faithful to what's going on in front of us. Does that make sense? And so Joseph is faithful to God and his mercy in the present moment. And because he's faithful in that present moment, God God reveals to him the next step in their journey. And like we said before, light, or the love is the light that conquers the darkness. The light of Joseph's love for Mary conquered the darkness of confusion that came with this situation. It conquered the darkness of the shame that came with this. It conquered the darkness of the fear that I imagined that he was experiencing. And because he chose love, that light conquered the darkness of that situation, which saved Mary's life, which saved Jesus' life. Yeah? In our lives, there is darkness. In our, our lives, there is confusion. In our lives, there is fear. In our life, there is shame. But love is the light that conquers that darkness. Yeah? Which leads us to Mary's love for Jesus. After getting this news, they are called to to move to Bethlehem because they're having to take part in a census. And so they make the journey. They get on the donkey and they go to Bethlehem. And it says that while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I don't know what it would have been like to ride a donkey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but I do know what it's like to have a wild journey to the first, to the birth of your first child. When, uh, it was time for our son Evan to be born, we were going to have him at Bethesda North, which is down kind of in Blue Ash area, and we still lived here, we lived here in Franklin, and so we got up that morning to drive the Jeep down to the birth, or for Amber to give birth, and I realized that we didn't have enough gasoline in our car. And we were poor, like dirt poor at the time. So I remember pulling into a gas station at the Monroe exit and digging through the car, trying to find just enough change so I get a couple of gallons of gas to get down there. It was quite the journey. 
But I imagine nothing like the journey that Joseph and Mary had to go through. But there's this moment. They get to Bethlehem and they have, she gives birth to the child. And says that she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. I remember the moment that my son was born. And that love that is birthed, right? I remember when my daughter was born. And that love that was birthed in that moment. And here you have Jesus being born. And that love being birthed. Now here's an interesting thought. The Apostle John tells us that God is what? Love, right? And from a Trinitarian understanding, which as Christians we are Trinitarians, in the sense that we understand that God is one and yet three, that God the Father, you could perhaps say that God the Father is the one who gives love, that God the Son, this Jesus, is the one who receives love, and that this gift of love that is given to Jesus, that then Jesus then returns to the Father, is the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, this gift of love that moves between the two. Does that make sense? And so it's this understanding, if you just simply remove the the, the Father, the Son, it's like you just remove that out there, you have the lover and the one who is loved and the gift of love in between. That God is this one yet relational being, this love, this essence of love, if you will. At the very center of all things is love. And yet, th- this has always been Jesus' experience for eternity. And yet in this moment, he is birthed into our reality and love receives love for the first time as a human being. Hopefully I didn't go over your head, but I think that's terribly amazing because the first love that he ever received was from his mother, right? I recently read something this past, this week or the week before that for a mother, there Their children are their last true loves. Like we experience love through life. And we, every, if we're lucky, we get to experience true love. And that for a mother, their last true love is their children. And yet for a child, their first true love is their mother. And that for this Jesus who is love, that's always ever known in his entire existence, whatever that means. The essence of love is birthed into human likeness, human form, this vulnerability, and yet he receives love for the first time. It's what animates him. It's what brings him into being. It's what animates us. It's what brings us all into being. And Mary begins to teach her son what it means to love. And so she loves him. And then the news begins to spread. The angels begin to share with these shepherds in the, in the fields. And so they hurried off and found this Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But then notice what it says. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her. And what's it say? In her heart. She begins to real. I mean, she obviously already knew that this child was special. But now it's really starting to connect the dots. Like, holy smokes. What's going on with this kid? And she ponders this stuff in her heart. She knows where this is going. And to be a parent is to love and also to experience grief. To be a parent is to have your heart filled with joy and also to have it broken at the same time. I've, my wife has said oftentimes it's like, it's like your heart leaves you and walks around, and messes up your house. And so Mary now carries the burden of this child. 
She ponders these things in her heart. It says a little time afterwards, they took Jesus to the temple. And he would be circumcised there. And as they're walking in, there are these prophets that have been waiting outside the temple gates for years, waiting for the Messiah. And one of them, a man named Simeon, he says this. He sees the child and begins to prophesy and begins to pray blessing over Joseph and Mary and Jesus. And then in 30, verse 34, so then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword. And then he looks at Mary and he says, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This heavy reality that this love is going to fulfill your life and yet at the same time it's going to be hard and it's going to be really really tough so mary carries this her entire life as the mother of this child of this child the one who raises him joseph and mary sharing their their wisdom their love their fears as they raise this child. I was watching this week a, a trailer for a movie called Mary Magdalene, which I have not seen, but there was this moment in the trailer where Mary, the mother of of Jesus, is having a conversation with Mary Magdalene, and she she says to Mary Magdalene, she, she says, I can see that you love him. And she says, yes, I do. She goes, well, then you, you better be prepared to be able to let go. Which leads us to this moment at the very end. Jesus has been tried. He's been falsely accused. He's been sentenced to death. He's been nailed to a cross. And it says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, speaking of John. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to, the, and to this disciple, he says, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her in to his home. Mary loved Jesus all the way through, took care of him all the way through. And there's this moment at the very end where Jesus replay, repays this love by giving Mary to John so that John can take care of her for the rest of her days. And yet at the same time, there's this, once again, this motherly devotion that she has for her son. Never leaving his side, even, even at the very end of his life. And so perhaps you could say it like this. In the same way that the light of Joseph's love for Mary conquered the darkness of his life. The light of Mary's love for Jesus conquered the darkness of grief. It conquered the darkness of loss. It conquered the darkness of heartbreak. And I imagine that many of us in this room, this is where we are. We're in that darkness. And we're in the in-between. Remember, there is a candle of hope. It's the first one. And that if you find yourself in that darkness of grief, of loss, of heartbreak, and I know that many of us in this room are, we always have to remember and hold on to the reality, the hope, that this love conquers even that. That this love conquers the darkness of grief, of loss, of heartbreak. Because we know that this wasn't the last moment for Mary and Jesus, that three days later he would be back. Yeah, which leads us then to the love that Jesus has for us. In Matthew 1, we are told that she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. This is, this is the angel speaking. Because he will save his people from their sins. And so love 
the essence of love puts on flesh and blood and joins us at the party. He comes to join us in the messed up life that we all experience. He comes to save us from our sins. Now, what in the world does that mean? I would argue that sin begins with selfishness. I would argue that sin and selfishness are synonymous in understanding. Because if you're like me, you probably want to do what you want to do, right? I just want to do what I want to do. My, We've got ourselves in a really bad habit this winter where every night we either eat cookies or cinnamon rolls. Every night. About 8.30, Amber looks at me and she's like, it's time. And I'm like, which, which night are we on? Are we on cookie night or cinnamon roll night? She's like, tonight's cinnamon roll night. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes I'm terribly happy to get up and get make the cookies or make the cinnamon rolls. But sometimes I don't want to. But she insists. Now, I don't know who's sinning worse, her or me. But sometimes I don't want to get up and get the cookies, right? Sometimes I don't want to get up and get the kids ready for school. She never does, so she has no room to talk. Sometimes I don't want to do the stuff that I have to do, right? Anybody not want to do the stuff that you want to do or have to do? What is that? Selfishness. Now, it's okay to take care of yourself from time to time, and it's okay... You know, if people aren't carrying their own weight, to call them out and say, hey, you need to make the cookies every now and again. But at the end of the day, the thing that gets us all in trouble is selfishness. It's sin. It's wanting to do what we want to do with no regard for what anybody else thinks or, or has to say about it. Does that make sense? And so sin is like an avalanche in our lives. It can begin very innocently, if you will. But if we can continue to feed that selfish monster, it's going to roll and roll and roll into a disaster. The way it happens in the garden is that God tells them not to eat of the fruit, and yet they make the selfish choice to go against what God has called them to do and to say, let's just figure it out on our own. And so at first it's just super innocent. They eat an apple or fruit or whatever it is. But immediately, it begins to have its implications. Where before they were comfortable with one another in their own skin, in their own nakedness, they begin, their eyes are open and they realize, oh, wait a minute, I don't, I don't feel comfortable with myself anymore. They become insecure. And because they become insecure with their own individual selves, they begin to hide from one another. They cover themselves up with fig leaves. Now, what happens to us is we make selfish choices and then somebody calls us out on it. And when we get called out on it, if you're like me, you project. You cover yourself up and you say, oh, it's not my fault. This is your fault. Anybody else play this game? And so they cover themselves up and they hide and then God comes looking for them in the garden. And what do they do? They run and they hide from God. And then when they're called out on it, they project. They say, well, Adam's like, it was, this is not, I was fine here with these animals. This isn't my fault. This is your fault because you put this lady in here. She's nice. I like her, but come on, man, right? He starts pointing the finger at God and at her. And she's like, huh, eh, it was the snake. He tricked me. But it begins to really unravel. In one generation, you have... Adam and Eve eating fruit. But in the next generation, the blame and the guilt and the pointing of fingers turns into violence. And one brother kills the other. Yeah? And if you continue on the story, this one brother killing another brother turns into tribes killing tribes to the point there's so much violence that, that God floods cleanses, if you will, the selfishness and the violence that we all have hidden in our hearts. So Jesus comes to free us from that. 
in the garden you have them experiencing guilt, shame, fear, blame, violence. But on the cross you have the naked one. Step into the shame that we all experience. Taking on the guilt that's that we all need to fess up to. Experiencing the fear, crying out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And yet, instead of blaming everyone else, calling out angels of, from heaven to get revenge, what does he do? He hangs on the cross and says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. The curse that took place in the garden, the curse that we all take part in because we've all had those garden experiences. We've all felt that exile into the wilderness. That curse that we all take part in, Jesus reverses on the cross. He steps into the experience, but instead of continuing it with violence and blame, he forgives. And he calls us to take up our cross and to forgive. Yeah? In John three sixteen, it says it like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Now, a lot of us grew up with this understanding that, well, what this means is we just need to say a prayer and trust that instead of God killing us, he killed his own son. And because he killed his own son, somehow we're free. Right? Anybody, this is, this is a theological understanding of this. And not that it's completely wrong, but I think that it misses a, a lot of what God's doing. It, it's more than just simply... Believing in him so we do not perish. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Do I believe that Jesus died for my sins? Absolutely I do. But I also believe that Jesus dying on the cross for my sins opened the door to a path that I now should walk. Yeah? If I want to experience eternal life today, because that's the call of the Christian faith, is to experience eternal life today. If I'm going to experience this eternal life today, then I have to walk the path of the cross as well. I have to believe in Jesus. Believe that he died for my sins, but also believe that the path that he calls me to is the path. Trusting in grace, offering mercy, loving unconditionally, Forgiving the people who hurt me. Giving to the poor. Loving the outcast. Walking the path. And as we walk this path, it is the opposite direction of where the rest of most of the world is going. So it's like we're swimming upstream. And yet it's going to lead us to true eternal life. Does that make sense? And so we believe in him. We trust in him. We say yes with our words, but we also, probably more importantly, we say yes with our deeds. Yeah? Which leads to another way. The Apostle Paul, reflecting on the way this Jesus had transformed his life, he says this, he says, For I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Once this love captures you, there's no getting out. There's no getting out. There's nothing that anyone can do to pull you out of this love. Yeah? 
And so perhaps you could say it like this. The light of Jesus' love for us conquered the darkness of sin, guilt, and death. This light, it conquers the darkness that surrounds us. The love of this light, it conquers this darkness wherever we go. Which leads us to one last thought. You have the love that Joseph had for Mary. You have the love that Mary had for Jesus. You have the love that Jesus had for us. And then it leads to the love that we are called to have for one another. Perhaps the main tenet of Jesus' teachings was to love your neighbor, what? As yourself. Matthew 22, it says this, the teacher came to Jesus. And he says to him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, why would Jesus give two? Here's my answer. If you are going to love God with all of your soul, mind, strength, then there's only one way to express that. It's to love the people around you. I've told you the story before, but when I was a younger Man and our son was very young. We, I was coaching football and I would have the team over to our house on Thursday nights to eat cookies. Imagine that. And, uh, we were supposed to watch the game, the film of the games, but we never did. We just goofed off. But my son's favorite player was a kid named Sammy Gauze. You remember Sammy? And Sammy was also my wife's favorite player on that team. And the reason being was simply this. Every week, Sammy would come to our house, and he would get down on the floor, and he would play trains, because Evan was into Thomas the Tank Engine at the time. He would get down on the floor, and he would play trains with Evan. And Amber loved Sammy because Sammy loved our son. Yeah? How do we express our love to God? How do we love God? It's very simple. You want to steal the heart of a parent? Love their kids. And guess who God's kids are? Everybody that you see. So there's like seven billion of them. It's got a big family. Now some of them don't know that they're part of a family. How are they to know? We show them love. I was watching this morning on Instagram a video of a young boy sitting in the floor, opening up a Christmas present. And he opened up a present, and it was a picture of a family. And it was the whole family that was in the room except for him. And then all of a sudden, I made this realization, oh, he's not part of their family. And then she, he opened up a note. And in the notice that this was our last family picture, we would like to have this picture taken again, but we would like you to be a part of it. We want to adopt you. And all of a sudden, there's this realization that as this little child begins to cry, oh, he's not part of this family. He's just hanging out there. And then there's this moment where love lights the darkness of his life. And he's adopted into this family. There's people that live near you who don't know they're a part of the family. There's people that you work with who don't know they're part of the family. We are called to bring light into that darkness, to remind them that, hey, you're a part of something bigger. You're a part of a, a big family. Come along. Come be with us. And so Jesus teaches us to love. And John, Jesus is eating with his disciples at the very end in the Last Supper, and he says this to them, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then in First John, it says this. 
He says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son to the world that we might live through him. So perhaps you could say it like this. The light of our love for one another conquers the darkness of loneliness, brokenness, and despair. There are a lot of lonely, broken, desperate people in this world. And we are called to be the light that conquers that darkness. You notice the theme, don't you? Love was working the entire time. The love that Joseph had for Mary, the love that Mary had for Jesus, the love that Jesus has for us, and the love that you and I have for one another. Hope, peace, joy, love. The light of our love conquers the darkness. Amen? Amen. Two questions, because I'm done. What's God saying to you? What's one thing that you can do about it this week? And so let's take a few moments simply to reflect on this, and then we're going to share communion together. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, that you just speak to our hearts in these next few moments. All right. Amen. If you have one of these, grab it and take it out. Every week we take part in this reminder that we are all loved. That this love is the light that conquers this darkness that we find ourselves in. And every week we pray this prayer as a reminder, as a a way of centering our hearts and our minds. And so pray this with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup of wine. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant that has been shed for you. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. Later, reflecting on this, the Apostle Paul said that every time that you and I, we gather and we take this bread and we drink from this cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns, which means we remember what Jesus did, that he was broken and poured out for the sake of the world, and that we're reminded as the body of Christ, that we are called every day to do the same. 
to be broken and poured out for the people in our lives. And so look to the person next to you and say, the body of Christ broken for you. And now the cup, the blood of Christ shed for you. All right. Amen. Let's all stand. Grab hands of the person next to you if you like. If you still got a shop, good luck out there. It's like the Hunger Games. <laughs> and we have services tonight, five, is it five? Five thirty and ten thirty? All right. So we'll see you then. So let's pray and we'll uh, get out of here. So Father, we just thank you for this love. We thank you for this love that brings hope, that brings joy, peace, light into this world. And so, Father, may we be that light. May it shine from within us. May it open the eyes of people who find themselves in darkness. Father, may it open our eyes, though we find ourselves in darkness every day. May we trust in that light. And so, we, Holy Spirit, we ask that you just... Be with us this week as we go. We ask that you guide and keep us. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. See you guys.